Narcissist Secret Speech by Professor Sam Vaknin, Part 2. Borderlines, psychopaths, narcissists, they move their mouth, they lie. They lie all the time. Their lies may be goal-oriented. To secure money, to secure sex, to secure narcissistic supply, or the presence of the intimate partner. The lies may be intended to regulate grandiosity, or a labile sense of self-worth, to buttress a stance of victimhood, or simply because the forbidden and the illicit and the risky are thrilling and novelty. And this is in case of serial uh, cheaters who lie and deceive, promiscuous, um, attention-addicted uh, people, and so on. So when you communicate with these types, what they say is largely irrelevant. The only relevant information is why they had chosen to say what they had said. So don't pay attention to what they're saying. Ask yourself, why are they saying it? The selection of lies, the choice of, of confabulations, is revealing, telling, and informative. And the same applies in psychotherapy, by the way. The anamnetic, the intake phase. In the intake phase, most patients confabulate they offer narratives that are egosyntonic, self-justifying. So what the patient says is not nearly as important or crucial or edifying as to why the patient had chosen to say what the patient had said. The choices they make in telling their stories are much more important than the stories. Narcissists lecture. They never talk. They seek to impress. They never communicate. They ignore other people's input. They actively suppress such input rather than listen. The narcissist is so invested, so immersed in extracting narcissistic supply from his interlocutors, so so um, so concerned with dazzling them with his brilliance or with his sexual irresistibility, that the narcissist is oblivious to his body language, to his verbal cues, to his interjections to events around him, or to the environment at large. It's a compulsion. It's obsessive. The narcissist expostulates, hectors, pontificates, opines, defines, edifies, rectifies, rants and raves and rambles for hours on end, ceaselessly and breathlessly. All of you have been exposed to the narcissist, to the narcissist monologues, unending monologues like this lecture. And always from a position of pompous self-importance and verbose superiority and for authority. Yeah. People, his mum and num audience, find the narcissist exhibitionistic, delusional and coercive grandiosity so repellent, so off-putting, that they shun his unilateral company altogether at the end. That's why most narcissists are left alone, because people can't stand them anymore. But what about speech acts which are abusive? When, what happens when the narcissist, psychopath, borderline, never mind, abuse speech? Not only use speech, but abuse speech. There are three examples. Let's start with big picture evasiveness. It's my mini day. Let's start, oh, it's Minnie's day with me. Let's start with big picture, big picture evasiveness. Narcissists hate detail. 
narcissist are too self-important. The narcissist's life is too cosmically significant to be wasted on frivolous trivia and trifles. Narcissists are above the fray of the quotidian, of the daily, of the pedestrian. They concern, them, them, they concern themselves only with strategy, never with tactics. Narcissists lay out in sweeping synoptic terms the big picture. They leave it to lesser, inferior mortals like you to fill out and fill in the yawning gaps and to iron out the glaring inconsistencies in the narcissist's big picture and harebrained schemes. Any attempt to involve the narcissist in the minutiae of decision-making and the give-and-take of human endeavor is perceived by the narcissist as coercion, a humiliating, ill-intentioned and deliberate challenge to his grandiose self-perception, his false self. The narcissist's unwillingness to dirty his hands with the routine, the mundane, virtually guarantee that his is her brain schemes, hastily laid plans, convoluted stratagems, guarantee that they will go awry, they will end in failure. The narcissist, coercive delegation of tasks, the cascade of often contradictory instructions, the grandiosity, the aggressive superiority that characterizes expectations, his fantasies, his so-called planning, all these alienate and infuriate his bosses, his underlings, his employees, his collaborators, his partners, his suppliers, his customers, his intimate partners. Some of some narcissists end up acting uh, uh, all alone because of that. And some of the victims of the narcissist, the recipients of his harangues and his hectoring and preaching and tirades and vitriol and diatribes, some of these victims end up acting passive-aggressively and spitefully undermining the joint enterprise. Others, warned by the narcissist's aloofness and godlike detachment from reality, simply give up on him. They go through the motions robotically, awaiting the inevitable meltdown of the narcissist. Then, a second abusive speech act is alloplastic defenses and shifting the blame. Narcissists are hypervigilant, and consequently, they misperceive rejection and insults everywhere. Not being sexually desired, not occupying the center of attention, not garnering narcissistic supply, not being the alpha male in the room or the most intelligent person in the group, all these constitute grave narcissistic injuries the psychopath, as distinct from the narcissist, is goal-oriented. So he regards the very same rejections as mere obstacles, challenges to be overcome. He says to himself, I am not desired. I will render myself irresistible, and I will make her jealous by triangulating, or I will just, just move on to the next target. I am not the center of attention, says the psychopath. If I want to, I will make sure that I am, and so on. So both narcissists and psychopaths are competitive. They are both hell-bent on winning and prevailing, but for different ends and reasons. The narcissist seeks narcissistic supply. The psychopath seeks power, money, connections, position, sex, 
narcissist seeks to secure an uninterrupted flow, regulated flow of narcissistic supply. The psychopath simply aims to accomplish and achieve goals. Another facet shared by narcissists and psychopaths is their alloplastic defenses. They are never fully, fully responsible. They're never to blame. They're never guilty, accountable. They, they, their misconduct is never their own. They don't own their misconduct. Narcissists who cheat on their spouses, for instance, they're likely to say, I was drunk, I was taken advantage of, or you made me do it, or I had no choice under the circumstances but to act the way I did. The psychopath will use the theory of just deserts. Psychopath will say, they deserve it. They had provoked me, they mistreated me, they acted stupidly, so they had it coming. Or, I deserved it, so I took it. Or, this is the way of the world and I had to do what I did just in order to survive. A man has to do what a man has to do. The third abusive speech act is much more famous. Um, I was the first to incorporate gaslighting into narcissistic abuse in 1995. Gaslighting preceded, of course, my work in 1995. Um, you have descriptions of gaslighting as early as 1968 using the term gaslighting. But I was the first to introduce gaslighting into the discourse of narcissistic abuse when I coined the phrase narcissistic abuse. So, passive-aggressive gaslighting is an abusive speech act. Nothing is more infuriating than the passive-aggressive evasiveness or gaslighting of the narcissist or, or psychopath. It's like trying to hold on to a slimy goldfish. It's, it, you can never catch, you can never kind of settle there's no fixed point. Everything is in flux. Everything is kaleidoscopic. You can't get a straight answer. You can't get to the truth of what had happened, if anything had happened. The narcissist and the psychopath denies that anything at all had happened. Then he parades a kaleidoscopic array of protean contradictory versions of what may actually have happened or occurred. Then he minimizes the meaning of what finally he grudgingly acknowledges had transpired. Throughout this teeth-extracting process, the narcissist implies that to dispute his claims or to doubt him is a sure sign of mental derangement and proof positive of an impaired reality testing or else it's malicious. Having admitted wrongdoing, the narcissist axiologically reframes the transgression. In other words, he misattributes it to some values he did nothing wrong in his book. The values of the injured party are old-fashioned, possessive, plain irrational. The other party is insanely jealous. The narcissist's misconduct is common or accepted where he comes from. It's a question of culture. He could not have acted differently under the circumstances and constraints of the moment. Isn't this understandable? Why do you keep harping at it? Can't we let go? He had no premeditated intention to act the way he did. It just simply happened. It just happened because he was drunk, or high, or stressed, or angry, or sad, or disappointed, or lonely, or miserable, or something. So it's never his fault. Things happen to the narcissist, <laughs> or, or the psychopath, or the borderline. Things happen to them. They are the passive receptacles and recipients of fate, destiny, institutions, other people. 
And finally, the narcissist shifts the blame. Alloplastic defense with an external locus of control. He shifts the blame. He shifts the blame. You're guilty. He guilt trips you. The narcissist and psychopath was drunk, for example, was high. He was forced into acting the way he did. He was co-opted. He, was, he got taken advantage of. He was raped. Or she was raped. He, he was taken by surprise. He was gullibly taken advantage of. He'd been abused. He's the victim. And then there's the perennial. It is all the victim's fault. It's all the fault of the party that was hurt. She made him do it. She misbehaved. She had abused him and provoked him and pushed him to misbehave, to misdeeds, to the brink of insanity, to the point of no return, where he could no longer recognize himself. She drove him insane. Usurping the victim role is a surefire sign that the narcissist or psychopath has done something truly rotten or truly dangerous. When the narcissist goes out, goes all out on the offensive, you, you know that he did something really, really bad. Gaslighting by narcissists and psychopaths is surreal, it's disorienting. They lie reflexively with a straight face and without missing a beat. The psychopath's prevarication frequently involves very convincing mimicry of other people's behaviors and effects. And this engenders an alternative, almost hallucinatory or nightmarish reality. So I'll give you two simple rules. Number one. The psychopath is never said, he's always mad. Not said, mad, and sometimes bad. He's mad at you. And number two, when the psychopath says, I'm bad, when he's ostensibly contrite and repentant, what he means to say is, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of the consequences of my action. Or I'm pissed off that I was found out. I, I'm very angry that I, I allowed myself to be caught red-handed, in flagrante. So when the, when the psychopath and the narcissist say, I'm bad, I'm sorry, it's my fault, I regret it, I'm remorseful, they don't mean this. They mean to say, too bad, you found out. As Cleckley wrote, Herbert Herve Cleckley wrote in his masterpiece, The Mask of Sanity, actions and behaviors are the psychopath's only true forms of communication. Actions and behaviors are the narcissist's language. We should therefore pay attention exclusively to what the psychopath and the narcissist do and utterly ignore absolutely everything they say. So why do we often believe and trust narcissists and borderlines and psychopaths when they tell us what had happened? Why do we fall for their lies? Because they're not lies. Psychopaths prevaricate to secure goals. Narcissists and borderlines rarely do. Most commonly, they confabulate. Confabulation is a desperate attempt to breach dissociative memory gaps, lost time, blackouts. Narcissists and borderlines are desperate to make sense of a discontinuous, disjointed, fragmented world. And to do this, they accomplish this. They build these bridges by extrapolating from past experiences and creatively generating a fiction, a narrative, so as to what probably, plausibly, might have happened in the missing hours or minutes or days. 
Confabulating is intended to both restore identity continuity and cohesion and to hide the missing segments in the narcissist or borderline's personal histories. Confabulations, effectively a form of false recall or false memories. Confabulations are irresistibly convincing and alluringly reassuring because the narcissist or borderline honestly and firmly believe that they are true and confabulations have the power of memories and they appear to be objective and authentic. They're always very likely, very plausible, even highly probable. So they're easy to accept by all people, by all parties. In many cases, there's a fourth reason. The confabulation allows everyone involved to negate and efficaciously ignore a painful reality or an uncomfortable alternative scenario or set of facts. We all, including the confabulator, want to believe the confabulation because it affords us comfort, succor, peace of mind. Narcissists and borderlines dissociate and then confabulate ceaselessly. It is easy to be drawn into their counterfactual old alt-reality or universe, the twilight zone of their inventive probabilities, the psychotic realm of their discontinuous existence. Confirmation bias does the rest. Having committed ourselves to the narcissist or borderline's version of events, having entered the alternative universe, we filter out, we suppress all countervailing information and contradictory or challenging facts or possibilities. Now, I want to find out online, so bear with me for a minute. I want to find online something I had written a while ago and read it to you because it's a because it's it's an example of what I'm saying. And here's what I wrote. Your wife dolls up. She grabs a bottle of liqueur, excited, and she rushes out the door at 9.30 p.m. She says that she had been invited for a late dinner by a friendly couple. Do you believe her? Belief is not the same as trust. Belief is purely cognitive, not emotional. First, you have to care enough to scrutinize and contemplate the issue. If the outcome is of no importance to you, the resource-efficient path of least resistance is, is to believe. Next, the facts must align with the belief. The facts cannot be blatantly counterfactual, contradict the belief. If the facts match a possible benign interpretation, you are likely to adopt this interpretation in order to reduce dissonance and hurt owing to the deceit of your wife. So you're likely to adopt confirmation bias. If you wish or if you're forced to maintain the status quo, the way things are, turning a blind eye, self-deception is actually the only viable option. And finally, awareness and even vigilance are inversely proportional to the extent of idealization, splitting, projection, reframing, and other defense mechanisms. You are far more likely to believe your wife if you're still idealizing her. For example, eyes wide shut are conducive to belief. So this is an example 
paradoxical thinking, hyperflexibility. So the, the mentally ill person can at the same time believe two contradictory things, think two mutually exclusive things, feel ambivalently two con- conflicting emotions. You can't. Bateson called it the double bind. Lang dubbed it the incompatible knot. The speech acts and decisions of mentally ill people need to be deconstructed, not merely observed. From the outside, people with psychiatric or psychological problems appear to be impulsive, erratic, labile, unpredictable, antisocial, dysregulated, disempathic, dangerous, heartless, mendacious, and egotistical. But the truth is, mentally ill people are simply meandering along the conflicting paths of their psyche. This fragmentation of the alienated self, this cathecting, emotionally investing in internal rather than external objects, may have to do with what Giddens called ontological insecurity. Even in patients with milder syndromes, such as personality disorders, there is a glaring absence of order, structure, continuity, cohesive identity, meaning, emotional stability, reduced anxiety, and consistent positivity or negativity. There's no consistency. It's not the balance that matters, it's consistency. And such epic fault lines, fracturing, fragmenting, impedes the evolution of a theory of mind. A world life and a worldview destroys logic itself, undermines it. We base our perceptions, our understanding of other people, on intersubjectivity, and we use empathy. It's mentalization, theory of mind. We place ourselves in other people's shoes. But it is a speculative system, of course. It is founded almost entirely on trust. It is based on honest self-reporting by other people regarding their inner mental states. It is based on correlations of these self-reports with observable observable actions and behaviors. This honest self-reporting leads to discrepancies with observables, and these engender disorientation, anxiety, uh, induced dysfunctional responses in us. People with cluster B personality disorders, dramatic, erratic, these people consistently mislead misrepresent their psychological self-states, their emotions, their cognitions. Their self-reporting is fallacious. This prevarication has to do with identity disturbance, dissociative amnesia, confabulation and manipulative lying and gaslighting. And consequently, it's hopeless. There is no point in trying to grasp analyze, comprehend, understand, retrodict, predict these personalities. These personalities do not possess a stable core and in many respects don't exist. There's an empty schizoid core there. There's emptiness. It's like negotiating with a void. It's like howling into deep space. They're either subjected to and at the mercy of labile and dysregulated whims of their moods or emotions or they are no longer with us, steeped in delusions of grandeur with fantastic landscapes, 
pseudo-psychotic impaired reality testing. And in many cases, they're simply lying through their teeth. So why bother?